Chapter Fifteen of Elsie's Widowhood by Martha Finley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sweet Pea. Chapter Fifteen. Man's love is of man's life a thing apart. Tis woman's whole existence. Byron. Finding her own thoughts full of Molly and her troubles to the exclusion of everything else, Elsie presently dismissed her little ones to their play, spent a few moments in consulting her best friend, then went in search of her father. She would not betray Molly even to him, but it would be safe, helpful, comforting to confide her own doubts, fears, and anxieties. She found him in the library and alone. He was standing before a window with his back toward her as she entered, and did not seem to hear her light footsteps till she was close at his side, and, turning hastily, he caught her in his arms, strained her to his breast, and kissed her again and again with passionate fondness. "'What is it, Papa?' she asked in surprise, looking up into his face and seeing it full of emotion that seemed a strange blending of pain and pleasure. "'My darling, my darling,' he said in low, tremulous tones, holding her close and repeating his caresses. How shall I ever make up to you for the sorrows of your infancy, the culpable, heartless neglect with which your father treated you then? I see I surprise you by referring it to it now, but I have been talking with one of the old servants, who retains a vivid remembrance of your babyhood here, and your heart-rending grief when forced away from your home and almost all you had learned to love. Such a picture of it she has given me that I fairly long to go back to that time and take my baby girl to my heart and comfort her. "'Dear Papa, I hardly remember it now,' she said, laying her head down on his breast. "'And, oh, I have the sweetest memories of years and years of the tenderest fatherly love and care, love and care that surround me still and form one of my best and dearest earthly blessings. If the Lord will, may we long be spared to each other, my dear, dear Father.' His response was a fervent Amen, and sitting down upon a sofa, he drew her to a seat by his side. I have come to you for help and advice in a new difficulty, Papa, she said. I fear I have made a sad mistake in allowing Mr. Embury's visits here, and yet I cannot exclude from my house gentlemen visitors of unexceptionable character. No, and he appears to be all that and more, a sincere, earnest Christian. But what is it that you regret or fear? Elsie is engaged, Violet very young, and for Isa, supposing there were any such prospect, it would be a most suitable match." but molly molly he exclaimed with a start poor child she could never think of marriage no papa but hearts don't reason and love comes unbidden and you think she cares for him it would not be strange if she should he's a very agreeable man and did you notice them last night i thought his actions decidedly lover-like and there was something in her face that made me tremble for the poor girl's future peace of mind "'Poor child,' he echoed. "'Poor, poor child. "'I am glad you called my attention to it. "'I must give Embury a hint. "'He cannot, of course, be thinking what he is about, "'for I am sure he is not the heartless wretch he would be "'if he could wreck her happiness intentionally.' "'Thank you, dear Papa. "'You will know exactly how to do it "'without the least compromise of the dear girl's "'womanly pride and delicacy of feeling, "'or offending or hurting him.' "'You spoke just now of Isa,' she went on presently. "'I should be glad if she and Mr. Embury fancied each other. "'Such a match would be very pleasing to Aunt Louise, "'on account of his wealth and social position, "'little as she would like his piety. "'But—' "'Well, daughter?' "'Have you 
noticed how constantly Cyril seeks her companionship, how naturally the others leave those two to pair off together. They sit and read or chat together by the hour out yonder under the trees. Scarce a day passes without its long, lonely ramble or ride. He talks to her of his work, too, in which his whole heart is engaged, listens attentively to all she says, turning in the most interested way to ask her for an opinion, no matter what subject is broached, listens with delight to her music, too, and sometimes reads his sermons to her for the benefit of her criticism, or consults her in regard to his choice of a text. Mr. Dinsmore's countenance expressed extreme satisfaction. "'I am glad of it,' he said. "'They seem made for each other.' "'But Aunt Louise, Papa, will not fancy a poor clergyman for a son-in-law, yet will consider even that better than not seeing her daughter married at all. And if the two most intimately concerned are happy and content, what matter for the rest?' "'Oh, Papa,' Elsie returned with a smile that had something of old-time archness in it, "'have not your opinions in regard to the rights of parents and the duties of children changed somewhat since my early girlhood?' circumstances alter cases he answered with a playful caress i should never have objected to so wise a choice as isa's always supposing that she has made the one we are talking of and you will not mind if aunt louise blames you or me i shall take all the blame and not mind it in the least yes cyril keith and isidore conley were made for each other and had become conscious of the fact though no word of love had yet been spoken to him she was the sweetest and loveliest of her sex, in whom he found a stronger union of beauty, grace, accomplishments, sound sense, and earnest piety than in any other young lady of his acquaintance, while to her he was the impersonation of all that was truly noble, manly, and Christian. They were dreaming love's young dream, and found intense enjoyment in the other's society, especially amid all the loveliness of nature that surrounded them. Cyril's was a whole-hearted consecration to his divine master and that loved master's work, but this human love interfered not in any way with that, for it is of God's appointment. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. How like you that is, Papa dear, Elsie said. But it would be easier for me to bear blame myself than to have it heaped upon you. I suppose, though, that it would be useless to attempt any interference with the course of true love. Yes, we will simply let them alone. Mr. Dinsmore rode over to Magnolia Hall that afternoon to seek an interview with its owner, but learned that he was not at home, and might not be for a day or two. No one knew just when he would return. So the only course now left seemed to be to wait till he should call again at Viamede. He had been almost a daily visitor of late, and often sent some token of remembrance by a servant, fruit, flowers, game, or fish, or it might be a book from his library which was not found in theirs. But now one, two, three days passed, and nothing was seen or heard of him. Sad, wearisome days they were to Molly. Mental labor was next to impossible. She could not even read with any enjoyment. Her heart was heavy with grief and unsatisfied longing intensified by her mother's constant reiteration you've offended him and he'll never come again you've thrown away the best chance a girl ever had and you'll never see another like it then it was unusually long since she had heard from dick and she had waited for news from a manuscript which had cost her months of hard work and on which great expectations were based 
till her heart was sick with hope deferred. It was on the morning of the fourth day that Molly, having persuaded her mother to go for a walk with her grandfather and Mrs. Carrington, summoned a servant and desired to be taken out into the grounds. She sat motionless in her chair, gazing in mournful silence on all the luxuriant beauty that surrounded her, while the man wheeled her up one walk and down another. At length, "'That will do, Joe,' she said. "'You may stop the chair under that magnolia yonder, and leave me there for an hour.' "'I was afraid you'd get tired, Miss Molly, and nobody round for to wait on you,' he remarked, when he had placed her in the desired spot. "'No, I have the bell here, and it can be heard at the house. I have a book, too, to amuse myself with, and the gardener yonder is within sight. You need not fear to leave me.' He walked away, and she opened her book. But she scarcely looked at it. Her thoughts were busying themselves with something else, and her eyes were full of tears.' A quick, manly step on the gravel walk behind her startled her and sent a vivid color over face and neck. "'Good morning, Miss Percival. I am fortunate indeed in finding you here alone,' a voice said, close at her side. "'Good morning, Mr. Embury,' she returned, with a vain effort to steady her tones and without looking up. He took possession of a rustic seat close to which her chair was standing. "'Molly, my dear Miss Molly,' he said in some agitation, I fear I have unwittingly offended. No, 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 she answered, bursting into tears in spite of herself. There, what a baby I am, dashing them angrily away. I wish you wouldn't come here and start me to crying. Let me tell you something. Let me ask you one question, and then if you bid me, I will go away and never come near you again, he said, taking her hand and holding it fast. Molly, I love you. I want you to be my wife. Will you? "'Oh, you don't mean it. You can't mean it. "'No man in his senses would want to marry me. "'A poor helpless cripple,' she cried, trying to pull the hand away. "'And it's a cruel, cruel jest. "'Oh, how can you?' "'And, covering her face with the free hand, "'she sobbed as if her heart would break. "'Don't, don't, dear Molly,' he entreated. "'I am not jesting, nor am I rushing into this thing hastily or thoughtlessly.' Your very helplessness draws me to you and makes you doubly dear. I want to take care of you, my poor child. I want to make up for your loss to you as far as my love and sympathy can, to make your life bright and happy in spite of your terrible trial. You are the noblest, most unselfish man I ever heard of, she said, wiping away her tears to give him a look of amazement and admiration. But I cannot be so selfish as to take all when I can give nothing in return. Do you call yourself, with your sweet face, cheery disposition, brilliant talents, and conversational powers that render you the most entertaining and charming of companions, nothing? I think you a greater prize than half the women who have the free use of all their limbs. You're very kind to say it. No, I'm not, for it is the simple, unvarnished truth. Molly, if you can love me, I should rather have you than any other woman on earth. How your presence would brighten my home. I give all indeed. You will be worth more to me than all I have to give in return. Oh, Molly, have you no love to bestow upon poor me? She had ceased the struggle to free her hand from the strong yet tender clasp in which it was held, but her face was averted and tears were falling fast. His words had sent a thrill of exquisite joy to her heart, but instantly it changed to bitter sorrow. "'You cannot have counted the cost,' she said. 
I am poor. I have nothing at all but the pittance I earn by my pen. And think, I can never walk by your side. I cannot go about your house and see that your comfort is not neglected or your substance wasted. I cannot nurse you in sickness or wait upon you in health as another woman might. Oh, cannot you see that I have nothing to give you in return for all you, and your wonderful generosity, are offering to me? Your love, dear girl, and the blessed privilege of taking care of you, are all I ask, all I want. Can you not give me these? Oh, why do you tempt me so? she cried. Tempt you? Would it be a sin to love me, to give yourself to me when I want you so much, so very much? It seems to me it would be taking advantage of the most unheard of generosity. What woman's heart could stand out against it? Ah, then you do love me, he exclaimed in accents of joy, and lifting her hand to his lips. You will be mine, my own dear wife, a sweet mother to my darlings. I have brought them with me, that their beauty and sweetness, their pretty innocent ways, may plead my cause with you, for I know that you love little children. He was gone before she could reply, and the next moment was at her side again, bearing in his arms two little creatures of three and five. These are my babies, he said, sitting down with one upon each knee. Corina, to the eldest, don't you want this sweet lady to come and live with us and be your dear mamma? The child took a long searching look into Molly's face before she answered, then with a bright glad smile breaking like sunlight over her own. Yes, papa, I do, she said emphatically. Won't you come, pretty lady? Maybe and I will be good children and love you ever so much. And she held up her rosebud mouth for a kiss. Molly gave it very heartily. Me too, you mustn't forget to tiss Maidy, the little one said. Molly motioned the father to set the child in her lap, and, putting an arm about Corina, petted and fondled them both for a little, the mother instinct stirring strongly within her the while. There, that will do, my pets. We must not tire the dear lady, Mr. Ambury said presently, lifting his youngest and setting her on feet beside her sister. Go back now to your mammy. See, yonder she is, waiting for you. What darlings they are, Molly said, following them with wistful, longing eyes. Yes, ah, can your heart resist their appeal? How could I, chained to my chair, do a mother's part by them? She asked mournfully and with a heavy sigh. Their physical needs are well attended to, he said, again taking her hand, while his eyes sought hers with wistful, pleading tenderness. It is motherly counsels, sympathy, love they want. Is it not in your power to give them all these? I would throw no burdens on you, love. I only aim to show you that the giving need not necessarily be all on my side, the receiving all on yours. How kind, how noble you are, she said in moved tones. But your relatives, your other children, how would they feel to see you joined for life to a... Don't say it he interrupted, in tones of tenderest compassion. My boys will be drawn to you by your helplessness, while they will be very proud of your talents and your sweetness. I have no other near relatives but two brothers, who have no right to concern themselves in the matter, nor will be likely to care to do so. But, oh, dearest girl, what shall I, what can I say to convince you that you were my heart's desire, that I want you, your love, your dear companionship, more than tongue can tell? Will you refuse them to me? She answered only with a look, but it said all he wished. Bless you, darling, he whispered, putting his arm about her while her head dropped upon his shoulder. You have made me very happy. Molly was silent, was weeping, 
but for very gladness her heart sang for joy not that a beautiful home wealth and all the luxury and ease it could purchase would now be hers but that she was loved by one so noble and generous so altogether worthy of her highest respect her warmest affection the devotion of her whole life which she inwardly vowed should be his she would strive to be to him such a wife as elsie had been to her husband such a mother to his children as her sweet cousin was to hers end of chapter fifteen